363 days. That's right, for all of you Christmas fanatics, you know what I'm talking about. The number of days left until Christmas 2020. For you non-Christmas fanatics, you're thinking to yourself, why in the world is he bringing that up? Uh, I don't know about you, I'm sure your Christmas was very, very different this year, uh, but I hope you and your family had a wonderful and very Merry Christmas. Cassie and I, uh, we had a great time. We were able to travel down on Christmas Eve um, down to Christview, our soon-to-be uh, new church home, uh, where I was able to uh, speak at their Christmas Eve service, and I left a great first impression because I was late. Um, it was snowing, okay, and we had to drive kind of slow, but uh, we, we pulled in. The service started at 6. We pull in at 6.15, okay, and uh, I'm getting out of the car, and as I'm walking in the church, the sound guy's running out with the microphone. He said, you're up, and sure enough, I was, so I'm walking, put my microphone off, and, and right on the stage, so I, I left a great first impression for them. Nevertheless, uh, that was Christmas Eve for us. Christmas Day, uh, we slept, uh, okay, I slept in. I think Cassie had to work a few hours on Christmas Day, but uh, I slept in, then we opened up presents, and we went and spent uh, some time with my family, and then yesterday we got to spend some time with Cassie's family in Lexington. But you know what I love about, most about Christmas? Uh, it was my favorite part on, on Friday and yesterday, is to watch my nieces and, and my nephew open their Christmas presents. If you're a parent or a grandparent and, and an uncle, that's just the best part about Christmas, isn't it? Watching kids open the presents, the, the joy that comes to their faces, the, the, the smiles. I just love it. It's precious. The kids absolutely love Christmas for the gifts, don't they? Matter of fact, kids just love presents. They love gifts. My niece, Avery, back in November, she had a birthday. She opted to open her gifts before eating the cake and ice cream. But you know what I've come to find out as I've grown older? is that although we've learned the art of patience as adults and maybe the ability to control our, our facial expressions, we still like receiving gifts too, don't we? It's just what we get excited about changes with age. You know, we don't get excited about toys and games anymore. No, we get excited about kitchen gadgets, tools, and cleaning supplies, and mainly because we don't have to pay for them ourselves, right? Uh, this past Christmas, Cassie got me some books, some commentaries to be able to add to my library, and I couldn't have been more excited, exactly what I wanted. But you probably know the story with gifts, with presents. The joy that they bring on Christmas morning, it's kind of temporary and fleeting, isn't it? Because the reality is, those presents that got opened up two days ago, well, by the end of January, they're probably going to find themselves at the bottom of the toy bin or the back of the kitchen cabinet, aren't they? Their joy is so fleeting and temporary. But nevertheless, we still love giving and receiving gifts. Today, as a part of my last message during my ministry to the church here at Plum Creek, I wanted to give you a message of encouragement and also a challenge for the future. And we're going to be turning to the book of Revelation. Wow, what a way to end 2020 in the book of Revelation. Yep, that's how I'm going to encourage you. Many people see the book of Revelation as the haunted house at the end of the street of the Bible. However, although the book of Revelation does require some critical thinking, the reality is it was meant to be a book of practical encouragement for the first century church. 
And so we're in Revelation chapter 14, and I'm going to be reading verses 6 and 7, and this is what it says. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to all those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said to them in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. I absolutely love the simplicity of the message of those two verses. Now, I know it may be easy for us to get caught up and wonder who that angel is or when all of this is going to happen, but remember... Although Revelation requires some critical thinking, it was meant to be a book of practical encouragement for the first century church, and so we should treat it no differently. This morning, there are three very practical and encouraging truths that I want to leave you with that I see this text teaching, and that is this. The gospel is eternal in its nature. It's universal in its message, and it's simple and timely in its application. The gospel is eternal in its nature. I don't know of anywhere else in all the Bible that the gospel is described as eternal the way it is here in Revelation 14.6, but I absolutely love it. The everlasting gospel, it's where I got the title of my message, the eternal gospel, the never-ending perpetual gospel. And man, that word gospel, it means good news. And in a world like we're living in today, wouldn't it be great to have some good news? And all you have to do is turn on the TV, scroll through Facebook. Not a lot of good news out there, is there? Anger, tension, disease, death, hatred. But this is not just any good news. It's eternally good news. News. News that's not just good for today. It's news that has always been good and it will always be good. And the good news of the gospel, by the way, is the simple story of Jesus, God's one and only true Son, and how He sent Him here to earth, what we just celebrated two days ago, and how through His death, burial, and resurrection, He saves you and I from the sin debt that we owe to God. See, the Bible teaches that the gospel is eternal. It's everlasting. See, God Himself is an eternal God. He stands outside of time. Now, I don't know that our finite minds would ever really be able to wrap our heads around an infinite God, but nevertheless, the Bible teaches that God is eternal, and so is his gospel. And when sin first entered the world in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, God wasn't caught by surprise. It's not like when Eve took that fruit, God thought to himself, I didn't think she'd actually do it. Uh, What do I do now? No, no, no. The eternal God had an eternal plan. 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter, he tells us this in 1 Peter 1, verse 20. It says, Christ was chosen, read this with me, before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. See, the eternal gospel was eternally planned. Before God even created the world, He chose Christ to be the substitutionary sin atonement on behalf of the whole world. What does that mean? Well, you know the word substitute. Substitute someone who 
take someone else's place in their role. I was a substitute teacher in Campbell County, and what that means is on that day that the teacher couldn't be there, I would take their place and teach the class. Or a sub in, in a game of some kind. If the main player needs to step aside, they're sitting on the bench, the sub steps in and plays in their place. But the word atonement, well, the best way I was ever described was kind of a little bit of a phrase, it makes us at one meant with God. Anybody who sews, maybe you've heard that word men to men together, some clothes, your clothes maybe tear and you sew them together, you mend them together, it means you reunite them. So to be a substitutionary sin atonement means that Christ took our place in making right and mending our relationship with God. And he planned to do that even before the foundations of the earth were created. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, even though that we are full of sin. And I want you to remember that truth. Because the gospel that we profess as Christians and the gospel that we preach as ministers of the word, it wasn't just some whimsical scheme of a white-bearded man who stands in the clouds. No, God has been at work ever since the foundation of the earth. History testifies to his story. The gospel was eternally planned. But the gospel also has eternal implications. See, the word of God sets out for us just two ways. The gospel says that there's only two options. Eternal life in heaven in the presence of God or eternal death in hell away from the presence of God. There is no third, fourth, fifth option. No, there's just two. Eternal life or eternal death. And how we choose to respond to the gospel in this life has eternal implications. That's what we're told in Romans 6.23, for the wages, the payment, what we owe and deserve for our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gospel has eternal implications. Now, I know our culture doesn't like to hear that message most like to think that what we do in this life, well, it may matter in the moment, but it doesn't matter for eternity. And that's simply not true. What you choose to do with Jesus of Nazareth in this life, how you choose to respond to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus will have eternal implications. Plum Creek, here's my first warning and my charge. It can be easy to compromise this truth to not believe in an eternal hell and in an eternal heaven. But I urge you to hold tight to this sound doctrine. How someone responds to the gospel matters not just for this life, but for the life to come. When we compromise and abandon this sound teaching, we begin to lose our stronghold. If there is no eternal hell nor an eternal heaven, then you didn't need saving if there is no eternal hell nor an eternal heaven, then there's no need for world evangelism. If there is no eternal hell nor an eternal heaven, then there was no need for Christ to die. Hold on to this necessary teaching. But the gospel is also eternally relevant. You know, I love that truth about God. The Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Amen? And his word is no different. It is always relevant. 
See, today, the Word of God is under attack by our culture, isn't it? And although that's disheartening to us, it shouldn't surprise us. Because the reality is God's Word has been under attack ever since the Garden of Eden when Satan tried to manipulate God's words to tempt Adam and Eve. But nevertheless, our modern minds, we like to take God's Word and dismiss it, saying it was written in an ancient time, many years ago, in a culture and time not anything like today, so it's not worth much. Some call this chronological snobbery. Meaning, all of a sudden, those of us in the 21st century, we become so enlightened that we can dismiss everything that was written, said, and happened before. But hear this. The Word of God, it has stood the test of time, and it will surely outlast the criticisms it faces in the 21st century. Yes, I'll agree with our modern minds. This may be an ancient text, but it has abiding truths. The Apostle Peter tells us this in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. He says, verse 23, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the, read this with me, living and enduring Word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glories like the flower of the fields. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. God's word may have been written in ancient times, but its truths are abiding still. It didn't matter if it was Cain and Abel, if it was the commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai, if it was at Jesus' time, or living here in the 21st century, the sanctity and value of human life, to be honest and truthful and have integrity with your life, That's a truth that's still abiding. And it's written in an ancient book. God's Word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Plum Creek, let me charge and warn you once more. Do not compromise on this book. Let it be your rule of faith and practice, of sound teaching and right living. It is the eternal Word of God. In a postmodern world, It can be easy to dismiss absolutes and definitive truths. However, I encourage you to unify around this truth. Do not compromise God's truths. Now, don't pride yourself in this book. Be a humble student of the Word, but don't compromise it. It is an ancient text. It requires diligent study, requires patience and explanation, but just because there's something you can't understand or you personally can't agree with, does not nullify the truth of this book. Pilate, the one who tried Jesus before his death, he asked this question, what is truth? Jesus says, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my words. Listen to the words of Jesus. Know the word. It has abiding truths. It has the power to transform your life. When you begin picking and choosing what you want to include, and what you want to throw out, you have no leg to stand on. The problem becomes, who gets to decide what we leave in? Who gets to decide what we throw out? And soon what you'll find, if you begin picking and choosing from God's Word, you're back to the same problem that our world is facing today when it comes to ethics and morality. 
when we don't allow the eternal God and his eternal truths to guide us for right thinking and right living, not only will, be, will we be divided, but we'll be left with moral chaos. Live by the book. The everlasting gospel was eternally planned. It has eternal implications, and it is eternally relevant. But the everlasting gospel is also universal in its message. Our text says that that angel had that everlasting gospel to proclaim to all those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. The everlasting gospel, the universal message, is for every nation, tribe, language, and people. Now this phrase is used constantly throughout the book of Revelation. We see it first in Revelation in chapter 5. Jesus shows up on the scene. He's dressed as this lamb, the lamb who's been slain, the one who's worthy to break the seal and open the scroll. And it says that he bought and purchased with his blood a people from every nation, tribe, language, and people. And then you turn just two chapters over. Revelation in chapter 7 We get a picture of heaven. All the saints are gathered around the throne of God. They've made it. And notice who's there. A great multitude. Won't that be amazing to see? A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, tribe, language, and people. And then in our text this morning, Revelation 14, 6, it says that that everlasting gospel was proclaimed to every nation, tribe, language, and people. The gospel, it is for everyone. It is not good news for some. It is good news for all. You may know this verse. Perhaps you've committed it to memory. Maybe it's your favorite verse of all the Bible. For God so loved, say it with me, the world that he gave his one and only son. God so loved the world, the whole world world. And that is why, church, we have been commissioned to take the gospel to the whole world. Jesus told us, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that he's commanded us. We must love the way God loves, and God loves the whole world. It's the reason he sent Jesus to die once and for all. The good news, the gospel is for everyone. It is universal in its message. Plum Creek, I challenge you to stay committed to the mission. Do not give up on your purpose of reaching lost people. Hear this. When the church stops evangelizing, she becomes irrelevant. Not when she stops playing the latest music. Not when she has the best coffee. Nope. When she stops evangelizing, she becomes irrelevant. That is why you and I are here. You and I exist to reach lost people. So do not give up on the very heartbeat and lifeblood of the church. And that means here in our area, this small part of Kentucky, Make sure that you are committing yourself to personal evangelism. Sharing with your friends and neighbors the good news of the gospel, but also means sharing the gospel to the ends of the earth. Never give up on that important task of seeing to it that people all around the world are reached with the gospel. I love the heart of the missions team here at Plum Creek. 
Loved hearing from Tom and Sheila this morning. They desire to see the gospel shared with all those around the world, with people who've never been reached and who've never heard the words of Jesus before. If you personally are not involved in global missions in any way, see to it that you get personally involved. I urge and plead with you. Get yourself informed. Pray for, give financially to, or go on a mission trip. The everlasting gospel is a universal one. It is meant for you to share with others. So be bold in sharing your faith with your friends and neighbors, but be bold in taking the gospel to every nation, tribe, language, and people. The church grows irrelevant when she stops evangelizing. Do not be an irrelevant church. Eternal in its nature, universal in its message. Finally, the everlasting gospel is simple and timely in its application. Revelation 14, 7, our text says that that angel said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. See, with God, it has always been simple. God has laid out but two choices with humanity. Jesus taught that there are only two choices. He said in Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. It's that simple. There are but only two options, salvation or condemnation, life and prosperity, death or destruction. There's no third, fourth, fifth option. There are not many options. There are only two options. And indeed, the Bible says there's only one way to the Father. Jesus taught that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And you know, I think our world doesn't like that message. But I rejoice in that simple gospel. I love that the gospel is that simple. I either have a right standing with God or I don't. And you know why I like that it's that simple? is because I can know where I stand with him. See, it's common in our world today to think and wonder about a third option. Most of us know about the people who stand condemned. We also know about the, the ones who are saved, who have accepted Christ and made him Lord and Savior of their life. But we wonder about this third option. The people who, well, they're not Christians, they're not Christ followers, but they're good people. They work hard. They love their family. They have a good reputation in the community. And we think about and we wonder, surely, surely God won't punish them too, will he? Surely God won't condemn them, will he? Indeed, there's only two options the wide road and gate that leads to destruction or the narrow road and gate that leads to everlasting life. And I know that's a hard teaching for many to accept, but the Word of God is eternally clear. James 2.10 teaches us this, for whoever keeps the whole law of God and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. When I read this verse for the first time in college, I hit rock bottom. Because I grew up in the church. For all intents and purposes, I was a good kid. 
Now, I don't want to get up here and list my sins. I'd be ashamed to do that. But when I read this verse, I realized I've not even been good enough to just break one of God's law. I've broken God's law several times. I'm guilty of all of it. And you know, the Bible says that that guilt that we face of breaking God's law says all of us have done it. It's a universal problem. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned. So that means at some point or another, everyone in this room, everyone watching online, everyone in this world at one point or another has broken at least one of the commands of God. And if you're honest with yourself and you do some self-evaluation even this past week, you may realize you've broken even more than one. But all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there are only two options. Life or death, salvation, or condemnation. But this morning, I rejoice that I can, with the angel of Revelation 14, proclaim to you the everlasting good news. The everlasting gospel is eternal in its nature. It was eternally planned by God. It has eternal implications, and its truths are eternally relevant. The everlasting gospel is universal in its message. It is for everyone. There is no one too far, no one too wretched whom Christ cannot redeem. And this everlasting gospel is simple in its application. It gives you two choices, life or death, prosperity or destruction. And I say to you today, choose everlasting life. Because this gospel is a timely message. Revelation 14.7 says that that angel said, because the hour of of his judgment has come. Our days are numbered. We don't have forever. We're not even promised tomorrow because the Bible teaches that either he is coming or you and I are going. It is an urgent gospel message that demands a timely response. But this everlasting gospel is a gospel of grace. See, the word gospel means good news, but the word grace means a gift that brings joy. And just like those gifts that you opened up two days ago, the everlasting gospel, it's free. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You don't pay for it, but it's not yours until you receive it. I brought this gift with me this morning. There's nothing inside of it in case you're wondering. Probably could have been a little bit more clever. But listen, even if I did put something inside of here, there is nothing in this world that can bring more joy, everlasting, eternal joy, more value and significance to your life than that of the everlasting gospel. Perhaps someone in here needs to hear this today. If you're feeling lost, the gospel can give you purpose. If you're feeling like you're drowning, the everlasting gospel is a lifesaver. If you feel like you can't breathe and you're suffocating, the gospel is a breath of fresh air. If you feel like you've been working hard, you're tired and exhausted, the gospel gives rest. Indeed, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. If you're feeling alone, broken, abandoned, the gospel can put you back together and can give you a home. If you are needing saving, 
the gospel saves. The Bible teaches you and I were bought at a price, not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus. This is the gospel, the good news, the everlasting truth, the offer of salvation, to have life and prosperity, to worship God and enjoy his presence forever, to live by the abiding truths of the word of God, and to join the saints from every nation, tribe, language, and people around the throne of God. This message is simple. Today, either you have believed and have been baptized and you are saved, or you've not and you still stand condemned. Today, if you've not yet received the everlasting gospel, you can do so. Did you know this ancient text? It says today is the day of salvation. That's funny, Paul. You wrote that some 2,000 years ago, and you're saying today can still be the day of salvation? Yep. Jesus' blood that was shed, his body that was broken some 2,000 years ago, that tomb, it still sits empty. It still has the power to save. If you've not yet made the decision to accept Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, I pray that you would not delay. Make today the day of your salvation. Do not wait another year. Believe in and on Jesus. Turn away from your sin. Acknowledge with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And then be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're in this room today, you can do that. On our way out uh, today, I'll be standing out there. You can also talk to one of our staff members. We'd love to help you walk through those steps. If you're watching online, encourage you to reach out to us either through email or on Facebook Messenger. We'll make it as safe as possible for you to receive this everlasting gift. But do not delay. Do not delay. Make today the day of your salvation. Let's pray. Oh, holy, magnificent, and wonderful God, great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. You are the eternal, omnipotent, omniscient God, and you deserve all of our worship. And God, we today just want to give you thanks for your everlasting gospel, your good news that grounds us in truth, that gives us life and meaning and purpose and value and significance, that answers life's toughest questions, that makes sense of this mess that we're living in. We give you thanks for Jesus, who gave of himself freely on the cross on our behalf. And God, I pray that you would put in our hearts a burning passion to reach those who are far from you, that we would not neglect our purpose of reaching people with your message. And God, I pray if there be anyone in here today or in my hearing that has not yet received your everlasting gospel, that they would do so today, that your spirit would convict them of their sin and the coming judgment, and that they would turn to you and to your everlasting gospel. And all this we pray in the name of Jesus, our risen Lord. Amen.